0: might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's been a hard few months, hasn't it? It's been a hard few months. That goes without saying, but I'm saying it anyway. Um, and uh, in the last few months, we, I don't know about you, but I've often felt like I'm trapped in Groundhog Day, you know, with Bill Murray living the same day over and over again, and not knowing when it's going to end. And, and this quarantine season has certainly brought, in my life, a lot of my failures uh, into sharper relief. Uh, it turns out that when you spend a lot of time with your family, you realize how jacked up you are and uh, what a mess your life can be. And, and in times like this, you know, I think all of us can fall into some really unhelpful spiritual practices and spiritual postures. And uh, certainly during this season, I've wondered in my head, I wonder what God thinks about me. (laughs) I wonder what God thinks about me. Maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you haven't even done it consciously, but it's affected just your spiritual practices. Maybe you've asked, what does God think about me continuing to struggle Continuing to struggle with the same things over and over. What does God think about my failures? What does God think about my past indiscretions? When I mess up and and I go to God, what do I expect God to say? That's something I want you to consider this morning. When you mess up and you know you messed up and you go to God, what do you expect God to say? You know, oftentimes in my life, here's what I expect God to say. I know you messed up, Luke. That's why I gave you the Ten Commandments. I gave you the Ten Commandments so that you can show me that you love me. Now, get back out there and try a little bit better to be obedient. And we'll see if you mean it this time, Luke, when you tell me that you love me. That's often the way I think God relates to me. I bet that's the way you think God sometimes relates to you. But here's the good news for you this morning. The gospel does not say that to us. In the gospel, God does not say, do better next time. God, rather, gives really, really magnificent grace. God really is near to weak and hurting and sinful and wounded and broken people. That's good news because every single one of us fall into that category. And, you know, isn't that what we really all want from God? We don't want a God who ultimately is just our judge and lawgiver. We want a God whom we can experience his love. Listen to what Frederick Buechner in his book, The Magnificent Defeat, writes. He's one of my favorite authors. He writes, for what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars, there is a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here, in the thick of our day-by-day lives, who may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here, knee-deep in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of the world. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle we are really after, and that is also, I think, the miracle we really get. That's the point of Romans 8, and that's what we start studying today. Romans 8 is the pinnacle of Romans, and if Romans is the pinnacle of the Bible, then that must mean that Romans 8 is like the summit of Mount Everest of the Bible. It's like the Holy of Holies of the Bible. It's probably my favorite chapter in the Bible, and in Romans 8, Paul summarizes Everything that he said so far about the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes it. He also talks a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And everything Paul says in Romans 8 is intended for one purpose, for you here this morning who are listening to me talk about it. Here's what God wants you to understand by reading Romans 8. He wants you to have full assurance. Listen, full assurance that you are loved. That's what I've prayed for you this week, that this time together will help you have assurance that you are deeply loved by God in Christ. God cherishes you. God delights in you. Five weeks, we're going to look at this great chapter to give us the assurance of God's love. Today, we're going to begin by looking at basically verse one. I was going to preach on verses one through four, and I got through the first point, and I had a whole sermon which sometimes happens. So I thought, all right, well, I guess, Holy Spirit, there's my sermon. I better not preach for an hour. I wouldn't like that anymore than that you would like it. So um, we're just going to focus on one point today. It's a one point sermon. You're welcome, by the way. You're welcome. One point sermon. And here's the point in Christ. There is now no condemnation. Let me repeat that. I'm going to say it about 500 times to you today. In Christ, there is now no condemnation. It's, it's certainly worth our time just to break down the phrases of this great verse. Uh, because if you can get this, it really will change your life. It really will transform you. It has the power to transform your existence right now. Paul starts in the original language with the word, therefore, and that word summarizes and connects what he has already said with what he's about to say. And so Paul's saying, therefore, in light of the gospel, in light of everything I've said to you in verse chapters one through seven, especially chapters five, six, and seven, there is therefore now no condemnation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes it. And this chapter is laying out some of the implications of that. He recalls the gospel again there in verses three and four. He says that Jesus Christ was sent by God to do what none of us can do and to give what the law cannot give. Look at verse three. Paul says, Jesus came in the flesh for sin. That is, to condemn sin in the flesh. So at the cross, Jesus conquers sin and Jesus condemns sin so that if you're connected to Jesus in faith, sin can no longer condemn you. That is the gospel. That's the good news. Through the blood-stained cross and the empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your life experience, no matter the color of your skin or the language that you speak, can be made Right. You can be made right with God, and you can experience the wholeness of the humanity that Jesus made you to be. So in light of the cross, what does Paul say after the therefore? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's why it's important for us to focus on this verse today. None of you believe that. None of you believe that. And I don't really believe that, at least not fully and all the time. Because if we did believe it, our life would be radically different. That's why we so desperately need to hear it today. We desperately need to hear it because we still live, even if we're believers in Jesus, maybe even especially if we're believers in Jesus, we still live as if we are under condemnation. We still live as if there is something hanging over us that threatens us and threatens our relationship with God. We still live sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, as if we're on like spiritual death row, awaiting our execution before God, the judge. We still live as if we're in sin and under sin's curse. Now, you hear me say that and you think, well, I don't know if I live that way, Luke. I I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. So let me give you some ways to know. Some ways to know if you're living as if there is still condemnation. What does it look like in your life if you're living under condemnation? First, living under condemnation looks like a deep shame and guilt over your past. A deep shame and guilt over your past. It looks like this. You replay in your head and in your heart over and over. Past indiscretions and shortcomings you you refuse to forgive yourself you might even say that to yourself so you're constantly running away from things that you've done or from people you've hurt or from decisions you've made and because you want to forget your past you maybe drink too much so you can forget or you work yourself into oblivion so you won't dwell on it or you bow up with a steel resolve and with an iron will to never think about those things again but you feel condemned. You feel condemned. Living under condemnation, secondly, looks like a deep defensiveness and testiness towards people who criticize you. A deep defensiveness and testiness, I see all you husbands and wives doing this, towards people who criticize you. You can't handle people calling out your sins and challenging you and asking you to repent. Even if they do that really, really well and gently, you can't handle it because it just destroys you. It wrecks you internally. You already live with this kind of constant sense of dread. And to hear someone criticize you tears down the life that you've imagined for yourself like a castle of sand. I don't know how many of you have seen uh, the movie Inception, Christopher Nolan movie. Really hard to understand what's happening. But these people, Leo DiCaprio and his buddies, they go into dreams and they steal sensitive pieces of information from people. And when they're in a dream, if the dreamer realizes they're there, like even subconsciously, his mind begins to react. And the dream they're in, the city they're in in the dream will just start collapsing. And there's a couple of really amazing scenes graphically where... um, The city will like literally start rolling up like a blanket. It will start collapsing like sand on the seashore. That's what our lives feel like when we're living under condemnation and people criticize us or call us out for things. You feel condemned. You feel condemned when you hide your true self from other people and don't really let anyone in. Why do you do that? Or why don't you let people in? Well, you keep relationships on the surface because you're afraid that the real you is going to come out and this person might think about you the way that you tend to think about you. They won't want to be around you anymore. They won't tolerate your shortcomings. They're not going to stand by you when you screw everything up. So you can't open up. The risk is too great. You feel condemned. Lastly, What does it feel like to live under condemnation? I really want you to hear this one. Living under condemnation means that you believe that God thinks about you the way you think about you. You believe the way God, that God thinks about you, the way you usually think about yourself. That is that you are no good, that you're a real mess, that you're unlovable and not worth knowing, and that your life ultimately is just a colossal mistake. And that can be as practical as the little moments when you drop a glass and it shatters in your kitchen and you say to yourself, I am such an idiot. Or when you're on the golf course and you've been practicing for six months and you three put the third hole and you say to yourself, how can I not get better? You begin to use your self-talk and translate that into the way God talks about you and feels about you. You may feel this way if you're a mom who's been homeschooling your kids for the last three months and you didn't sign up for homeschooling, but you found yourself one day homeschooling and you think I stink at homeschooling. I don't think my kids can do two plus seven, much less two times seven. So you feel terrible. And then you get on Facebook and you see three of your friends on Facebook taking perfect snapshots of their amazing kids with, you know, uh, James Joyce's Ulysses open as if they've read the whole book, perfectly manicured, a pristine background. Background, and it says hashtag homeschool rocks. By the way, all that is a complete lie, a complete fabrication, a complete sham. But when you see it, you feel condemned. You feel condemned when you see someone else who's gifted and it seems like God is using them to do great things. And you think, man, I'm nothing like that. I can't do that. Why am I even here? You feel condemned. When you're unable to quit the things you want to quit. And then you've got a buddy who quit smoking or who quit drinking or who quit eating sugar and lost 35 pounds in like 48 hours. And you think, my gosh, I don't have anything close to that kind of self-control. I can't do that. I'm too weak. I'm too prone to temptation. I'm too bad. And so you transfer your self-talk into what you believe God is saying about you. And then you imagine God mentally in heaven as him looking down on you with, at the very best, at the best, mild disappointment. Just kind of, oh gosh, he did it again. And if you relate to anything that I've said in the last five minutes, if you don't, then you're weird but I know you do because you're like me. All of us relate to that. All of us feel under condemnation. Then this verse is for you because we don't listen to the spirit speaking through the word. We listen to ourselves. And so our inner critic and God's voice become the same thing. We feel condemned. So listen, listen to what God the Father says to you this morning. Listen, there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right now. Right now, if you're a Christian, you're not under condemnation in any way. Look at the tense there. There's now no condemnation. You're no longer under condemnation. Now, sometimes if you're a Christian, you think, Well, I used to not be under condemnation. When I became a Christian, I had this amazing radical conversion story, you might think, and my life was transformed and I had joy and I had assurance and I had hope. But then I screwed up. And now I feel like I'm under condemnation again because I messed up big time. We lied Or we stole, or we cheated, or we got a divorce, or we destroyed someone's reputation. We failed, so we think, I used to not have condemnation, but now I live under the condemnation of my failure all the time. But that's not what this text says. Not if you're in Christ. There's no condemnation. You can't ever come under condemnation again. Condemnation and you will never meet. Never meet. Jesus died for all of your past sins. And for all the sins you're committing today and for all the sins that you're going to commit in the future. There's no sin so loud that Jesus's blood doesn't quiet it. Do you believe that? There's no sin so strong that Jesus's blood doesn't overpower it. And some of you think, oh, I used to not have it, but now I do. And then some of you think, well, one day I won't have condemnation. When Jesus comes back and we all go to heaven and I'm in that mansion in the sky with the gold roads and blah, 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 all that great stuff, then I won't have condemnation. But right now, man, being a Christian feels like a slog. It feels like a a pilgrimage where there's really not much joy and it's not very pleasant. That's a powerful feeling, isn't it? That's That's a powerful feeling that we often feel. But that is just not the life that Jesus paints in the scripture. For his people. And that's not what God says here through Paul. He says there is now, right now, no condemnation. Uh, If you're a Christ follower, right now, you are loved by God. Right now, because of justification in Christ, God does not count your sin, past, present, future, against you. Right now, God has deep affection for you. Right now, God wants to be with you and near you and know you and experience relationship with you. God says your past cannot condemn you. Your present can't condemn you and what you're going to do in your future that can't condemn you either. God says there was no condemnation when you believe for the first time. There is no condemnation now as you believe. And there will never be any condemnation for you ever again. Ever again. Not a little condemnation. Not less condemnation. Not no condemnation until you screw up the next time. No condemnation. Period. Forever. Again. There's no condemnation. How can that be? You hear me say that and you think, well, that, I, that just can't be true. I feel condemned all the time. There can be no condemnation because of what Paul says at the end of verse 1. Look at what he says there. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's Paul's favorite you know shorthand way of summarizing the heart of our faith, the, the fullness of the gospel. So he's saying here, It's not that there's no condemnation for you because you've never done anything meriting condemnation. You have done that, and so have I. Nor is he saying there's no condemnation for you because you worked really hard and were really nice and really religious, and you tried very, very diligently to pull yourself out of condemnation into acceptance. That's not what he says either. He says the only reason there's no condemnation for you is because you're connected to one thing. You're connected to one person. Jesus. You get Jesus's record, and he gets your record. You get Jesus's sinlessness, and he gets your sinfulness. You get his righteousness. He gets your unrighteousness. What happens when you connect to Jesus, when you believe, is that he transfers fully to you all of his perfection and holiness and goodness, and you transfer fully to him all of your imperfection and unholiness and wickedness. That happens when you believe the gospel. The death and the resurrection of Jesus forgive you, and they give you a a new standing, a no-condemnation standing before God. If you've never heard that before, then you're not a Christian. And we'd love for you to be a Christian. It's a really great thing. It's very freeing. It's very wonderful. The only way that you can move forward is to receive as a free gift everything that God says here is possible for you. By believing that Jesus does this for you for free. By connecting to him in faith. Because when you transfer your trust to Jesus, Jesus transfers his righteousness to you. That's why hearing about this message is what Paul says Is the power of salvation to hear the news like you're hearing the news right now is the power of God for salvation at work in your life. And if you believe it, it will change you now and forever. Let me close with this Uh, one image for what this connection to Jesus in Christ Jesus, what this union to Jesus looks like. This thing that results in the disappearance of condemnation. One image that I found helpful uh, to think about to understand that is to think about jesus as your home Jesus is your home In fact, jesus himself speaks this way the gospel of john chapter 14 verse 23 Listen to what jesus says if anyone loves me He will keep my word and my father will love him and listen We will come to him and make our home with him a few verses later John 15 4, one of my favorite verses in the bible. Jesus says abide with me You could translate that, make your home with me. Make your home with me and I in you. When we believe, when we connect to Jesus in faith, when we believe the gospel, we move out of the home of fear and the home of condemnation and we move into the house of faith and grace and acceptance. Our problem, even if we did that decades ago, Our problem is that many of us profess to believe in God's love and grace, but we still live in fear and condemnation. Jesus tells us to make our home in him, and he will make his home in us. That's like Jesus asking us to get used to living in his house, to living in the home of no condemnation. Home is not just a heavenly mansion in the sky that waits for us. It is that. But home is also a safe place for you right now. In the middle of an anxious world, being home with Jesus, listen being home with Jesus means you never have to be afraid again of how God feels about you. It means you can be confident of the hospitality and the love of God for you. My family uh, pretty much all lives in Austin, and if you 've driven through Austin lately, especially across one of kind of the major intersections. You'll see like the homeless tenements and homeless encampments under all the bridges are just insane, like going crazy right now. It's a travesty of public policy. That's a different sermon for a different day. It's bad, bad stuff. But it makes a visual point that I want to I want to make. It's homelessness is living in a cardboard box under a bridge. It, it's like a picture of what life is like for us spiritually apart from Jesus. We look to make a home in places that aren't really homes. And that's what we're doing when we're living under condemnation, when we're pretending we're still in bondage. And to live that way as a Christian is to leave like your mansion up on the hill and go back under the bridge. Listen to Brennan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. We seek a safe place through alcohol or drugs or security and success competence, friends, pleasure, notoriety, knowledge, or even a little religion. We have become strangers to ourselves, people who have an address but are never at home, who never hear the voice of love or experience the freedom of God's children. You ever felt that way? To those of you who feel that way, to those of you who feel spiritually homeless, Because we try to make our home in things or people or causes other than God. Jesus says, you have a home. I am your home. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I gave you my approval and it's still there. I am with you. I love you. Right now. Forever. Come home. The the good news of the gospel This is such good news. If you're in Christ, you should never again experience apprehension about the security of your relationship with God or about your eternal future because God has already made up his mind about you. And he is in your favor because you are in Christ. You don't have to do one more thing as long as you live to get God's blessing. You couldn't be more loved. You couldn't be more loved. Take a deep breath and just let that sink in. Let me close with this. Today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads. A little bit of a Father's Day illustration here, but you can get this even if you're a female or even if you're not a father. Imagine on Father's Day, uh, your three-year-old daughter. She loves to color, and she's got a coloring book and a big box of crayons, and she decides, I'm going to make dad a picture for Father's Day, and she works really diligently on this, really hard on it, and on Father's Day afternoon, after you lunch, you sit down on the couch in your spot, and you're ready to watch sports. Oh, wait, never mind. No sports. Forget that part. You're ready to do whatever we do now with no sports, and your daughter presents you with her drawing, and she walks up to you with this big proud smile, you know, that only a three-year-old girl can muster. And she shows you the picture that she's labored over with just her marvelous, beautiful imagination, and, and it's a landscape picture in the tradition of the Impressionists, of course. And uh, you look at the picture, and, and, and you see the sun, and she's colored the sun black. And, and then the grass is colored purple. And the sky is a beautiful, like, army green. And down in the bottom right corner, she's, she's drawn some squares and some circles. And up in the left corner, there's a panoply of beautiful, colorful squiggles. And, and as her dad, <laughs> you look at that picture, and then you look at her, and it might as well be a Van Gogh. Why? Why do you feel that way as a dad? It's because your child cannot do bad coloring. Your child can't do bad coloring. You cannot do bad coloring for your Father in heaven. He delights in your weak, frail, sin tattered attempts. To believe what he says about you is true because he is your dad. The response of the father is not dependent on the worthiness of the drawing. It's dependent on the love flowing from the hearts of the dad to his child. Isn't a dad delighted? Aren't you delighted dads when your little ones, they come running up to you and they jump in your arms and you get to hold them and you know that they feel safe. They feel at home. That's the heart of God, the heart of the real God, the only God for you if you're in Christ. Him, his compassion and, and his love is not in any way determined by what you have done. <laughs> and it's not in any way determined by what you will or will not do. It's determined by Jesus, by Jesus alone and what he has done. Romans 8.1 is asking you, the Holy Spirit's asking you, will you come home? Will you come home to Jesus? Leave the house of fear. Leave the house of condemnation. That's not your place. Jesus invites you home to a place where there's no condemnation and never will be any. To a place where the love of the Father will greet you. To a place place where the freedom of the Spirit awaits. Come. Jesus says come.